Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, would you help us to honor your name as we exult in the reality that from you and through you and to you are all things. Amen. I am trying to sync my iPad up here. Give me just a second here. I'll give it one more try, and if not, I'll just press forward. We good? Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And several years ago, I asked one of my close friends to design this so I could put it on canvas above the fireplace in our home. And this is what he designed. I think he did a good job. This passage teaches that God is supreme. God is supreme. And to say that God is supreme means that he's superior to everyone else and to everything else. He has no rivals. God is unique. There's no one like God. Listen to some other scripture passages here that teach that there is no one like the Lord. Moses says in Exodus 10, there is no one like the Lord. There is none like me in all the earth. Moses said there is None like God who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. King David prayed, you are great, O Lord God, for, here's why he's great, there is none like you and there's no God besides you. God declares through Isaiah, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And Jeremiah prays, there is None like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due, for among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. There's no one like our God, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. No one. He's in a class by himself. The universe is everything that is not God, and God is greater than that. God is superior to everything that is not God. He's supreme over the universe. The title of this sermon and its main point are the same. It's three words. God is supreme. God is supreme. And our text is Romans eleven thirty six. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And before I explain and exult in that passage... Let's briefly see how it fits in its immediate literary context. So this is Romans eleven thirty three to 36. I'm going to read it and explain what you're looking at. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
This passage has three stanzas. You notice them here. Verse 33 is the first one. 34 and 35 is the second. And then those prepositional phrases, the third. In that first section, verse 33, Paul's exclaiming that God is deep and inscrutable. That's the, the point of these three exclamations. Oh, the depth, how unsearchable, how inscrutable. There are three exclamations about God's being deep and inscrutable. The next word is the word for, which shows that this second section, 34 and 35, is supporting those three exclamations. The second section is three rhetorical questions. When you ask a rhetorical question, it has the force of a proposition. And, and so the proposition for who has known the mind of the Lord would be, no one has fully known the mind of the Lord. God is without, uh, I'd say he's, he's incomprehensible. That's the idea. The second question, who has been his counselor? Question two, who's been his counselor? The proposition is no one has been God's counselor. He's without counselors. The third question, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? No one has given a gift to God that God owes him. No one. God is without creditors. Those three statements support the first three exclamations. And that whole, whole first bit, 34, 33, 34, 35, it's showing that God's attributes are humbling, and that God is praiseworthy. Hence the next word in verse 36, the word for. Because all that's true, from him and through him and to him are all things. So now we're ready to, to jump into this final verse. We'll look at it in three parts. From him are all things, through him are all things, to him are all things, and then finally, to him be glory forever. Amen. So let's start with the first one. From him are all things. God is the source of all things. He is the supreme creator. God is the source of all things. He's the supreme creator. Listen to some scripture passages that teach that God is the source of all things. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things. From whom are all things. He's, similarly, 1 Corinthians 11, all things are from God. Paul says of Christ in Colossians 1, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And then the author of Hebrews said that God, says that God has spoken to us by his son, through whom also he created the world. God is the supreme creator. This is true all throughout Scripture. God is the creator. First sentence of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. He made it. He is the creator. Psalm 33, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Why? For he spoke. He just spoke. And what happened? It came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord says to Isaiah, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. And Jeremiah says of the Lord, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. God created everything that is not God. God created Minnesota's beautiful North Shore. Anyone been there? It's 
It's my family's, family's favorite place to get away. God created firm purple grapes that burst in your mouth with juicy goodness when you bite into them. Mm, one of my favorite foods. I put them in the fridge. Oh, focus. All right. God, God created human beings as male and female such that they are interdependent and can't live without each other. That's God's idea. He's the creator, the designer. God created the human body, the eye, the ear, the thumb, the foot, the knee, the everything about the human body, that, that ingenious combination of bone and blood and muscles and fat and hair. That's God's idea. He's the creator. God created ants and elephants. God created goldfish and whales. God created ponds and oceans. God created tropical islands in the North Pole. God created the Nile River, the longest in Africa. God created the flatlands in Kansas and Nebraska, North and South Dakota. God created the Grand Canyon. God created the Rocky Mountain. God created the Sunset Cliffs in San Diego, California. Love going there. God created every natural resource, including water and air and coal and natural gas and phosphorus and copper and iron and soil and salt and timber. God created every natural resource, every one of them. God created chicken and beef and broccoli and watermelon and potatoes. You're getting hungry. Uh, God created humans with the ability to create with what he created. So God created the materials for a truck. God created the materials for an iPad that usually works. Uh, God created materials for climate-controlled buildings and king-size mattresses. God created all, he created the ability for us to have clean water and to eliminate sewage in a building. Amazing. God created the ingredients for sourdough bread and brownies and vanilla ice cream and tortilla chips and guacamole. God created every good gift that you enjoy. Every special grace, like forgiven sins, and every common grace, like drinking clean water and breathing clean air. God created everything that's not God. He's the supreme creator. That's one reason I love a good nature documentary. A good nature documentary is a worship video. When you learn about the ways of salmon or bears or eagles or rainforests or deserts or oak trees or bananas or butterflies, you just go, wow, God designed that. He is so intelligent and creative and wise. From him are all things. God's the source of all things. He's the supreme creator. Second, through him, are all things. God is the means of all things. God is the supreme king. God is the means of all things. He is the supreme king. Listen to some other scripture passages that teach that God is the means of all things. Colossians 1, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He sustains everything, Christ does. There is one God, Ephesians 4, there's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The author of Hebrews says that the Son upholds the universe by the word of his power, by his powerful word. He created it all and he upholds it all. He sustains it. In Hebrews 2, it's by the Son all things exist. 
God is the means of all things. He's the supreme sustainer. Or to put it another way, God is supremely sovereign. He is the supreme king. So listen to some scripture passages that teach that God is the supreme king. 1 Chronicles 16, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Psalm 47, God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And Daniel 4, 25, the Most High rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. The story of the Bible is the story of God, the King. God is supremely sovereign. He's supremely sovereign over every single respiratory droplet and airborne particle that transmits COVID-19. You believe that? God is supremely sovereign over the Milky Way galaxy and every other galaxy, every planet, every star, every inch of outer space. He's supremely sovereign over it all. God is supremely sovereign over every water droplet, every snowflake, every fire ember, every gust of wind, all of it. R.C. Sproul often said, there's no maverick molecule if God is sovereign. So we often will say, it's raining or it's snowing. That's not normally how God talks in the Bible. From God's perspective, God causes it to rain. God causes it to snow. He's sovereign over the weather. God is supremely sovereign over every nation, including the United States of America and Mexico and Canada and North Korea and China and Australia and Brazil, all of them. He's supremely sovereign over every human ruler, including Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. God is supremely sovereign over good angels, including the archangel Michael. And God is supremely sovereign over our enemy, the devil, that snake, and dragon. God is sovereign over Satan. God is supremely sovereign over the scheming of your enemies and dishonest politicians and thieves. Are those three different categories? Uh, God is supremely sovereign over false accusations that damage your, your reputation. God's supremely sovereign over choosing to save you. Election. God is supremely sovereign over causing you to be born again. Regeneration. God is supremely sovereign over giving you the gift of repentance and faith. That's conversion. God is supremely sovereign over declaring you to be righteous through Christ, justification. And God is supremely sovereign over making you a member of his family, adoption. God is supremely sovereign over transforming you into the image of Christ, progressive sanctification. God is supremely sovereign over enabling you to continue to depend on him and mature in Christ, perseverance. God is supremely sovereign. Through him are all things. God is the means of all things. He's the supreme king. Third, God is the end of all things. To him, to him are all things. God is the end of all things. He is the supreme goal. God is the end of all things. He's the supreme goal. Listen to some other scripture passages that teach that God is the end of all things. 
1 Corinthians 8, there's one God, the Father, for whom we exist. We exist for him. That's the purpose. Colossians 1, all things were created through him and for him. All things were created for God. Everything that is not God exists for God. Hebrews 2, for whom and by whom all things exist. God is the end of all things, all things. From him are all things. But tragically, most people don't live like that's true. I've adapted this next table from a book by Mark Leiderbach and Evan Lanau. It's called Ethics is Worship. First column, what or who is the ultimate goal or purpose or end that drives how you live? For some people, it's caring for yourself, personal happiness, pleasure, satisfaction. That's the end. For others, it's caring for humans, whether a subset of humans like your family or just humanity in general. For others, it's caring for all living things and their environment. And for others, it's glorifying God by enjoying him. So second column, who or what has the ultimate moral status? Or more sharply, who or what do you functionally worship? For that first group, you worship yourself. For the second, you worship humans. For the third, you worship all living things in their environment. And for the fourth, you worship God. The point is that everyone worships. The question is, who or what do you worship? And the Bible commands, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Worship God. God is the ultimate end of all things, and everything else has value as it relates to God, because God is the supreme goal, the end of all things. God did not design you so that you could follow your heart. I have four daughters, and we have this conversation often. They have the speech memorized to any kind of Disney movie. They know what dad thinks. They know what's true, and that's the follow your heart theme is evil. Don't follow your heart. God did not make you to follow your heart and find yourself and live for yourself and be yourself a self. It's not the point. God made you for something so much bigger. The point of everything is not you. It's not your family. It's not nature. It's not nothing. The point of everything is God. God made you for God. God is the purpose, the end, the goal. That's why everything that is not God exists. Everything that is not God exists to point to God, to highlight God, to magnify God, to exalt God, to make much of God. It's it's all about God. To him are all things. This is probably the most famous Q&A of all catechisms. What is the chief end of man? And the answer is, Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Question for you. These two phrases, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, are those two distinct parallel activities? Is it like saying, my goal this afternoon is to work out and get some rest? Different things. Or is it more like saying, my goal this afternoon is to get some rest by taking a nap. There we have a a main idea and then a way of accomplishing it. How do you read this? What's the relationship between those phrases? John Piper proposes this. 
man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. In other words, glorifying God and enjoying God are not two distinct parallel activities. Rather, enjoying God is the way we glorify God. Or as you've probably heard him put it, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. In other words, we most glorify God when he most satisfies us. There's not a conflict between our responsibility to glorify God and our desire to be happy. They go together. Our joy will be most full when we are thinking and acting and feeling in a way that makes much of God. God is not just the supreme creator and the supreme king. God is the supreme treasure, the supreme pleasure. God is supremely satisfying. And and when we live in accord with that reality, we get the joy and God gets the glory. It's beautiful. And this is all over the Bible. Let me show you some highlights from Psalms. You make known to me the path of life. Who does that? God makes it known. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. God, my exceeding joy. And I'll praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Don't be deceived that you'll ever be satisfied by pornography or money or power. The only way to be ultimately satisfied is with God himself. We can still enjoy God's gifts, but not as ends in themselves. We can treasure God by enjoying his gifts. But God is what ultimately satisfies us. To him are all things. God is the end of all things. So we've considered three glorious realities here. From him are all things. He's the source of all things, the supreme creator. Through him are all things. God is the means of all things. He's the supreme king. And to him are all things. God's the end of all things, the supreme goal. That's reality. You can deny reality, but that doesn't change reality. You can deny that this pulpit's hard, but that's not going to make it soft. It's just what it is. Now, does it make sense for you to say something like this? From God are all things, through God are all things, to God are all things, therefore, praise me. Look at how great I am. How does that work logically? Does that, does that follow? Does that make sense? Have any of you ever walked up to the, the rim of the Grand Canyon? Anybody? A few of you? Would it make sense to walk up to the rim of the Grand Canyon and say, look at me, look how big I am. 
What makes more sense? What just happens naturally to just about everyone? They walk up and they say something like, wow. And then they feel small as they take in the bigness. And then they say to the guy next to them, look at that. Look at that. That's what happened. That's the natural response. Similarly, when this grips you from him and through him and to him are all things, there's a therefore implied. It's not in the text, but it's implied, I think. Therefore what? Therefore, to him be glory forever. God deserves glory forever. That's what logically follows from what precedes it. Now listen to some other scripture passages that teach that God does what he does for his own glory. God says to Moses, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God's after his glory. The psalmist recounts, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They didn't remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet, watch this, he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. It's about his name. He's doing what he's doing for his name's sake. God describes his people in Isaiah as those whom I created for my glory. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. In Ezekiel, the Lord says, I acted for the sake of my name. God does what he does for his own glory. And that glory is what he alone deserves. Listen to some other passages in scripture that teach that God alone deserves glory forever. End of Romans. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Galatians 1. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And the Philippians, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. First Timothy 1, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And of 2 Timothy, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. First Peter 4, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And of Jude, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Revelation 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 4. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation 7, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Do you see a pattern here? What does God deserve? Were you listening? What does God deserve? Glory. For how long? Forever and ever. Amen. It's everywhere in Scripture. God deserves glory. And our problem is that we are glory thieves. We steal glory that belongs to God. We're glory thieves. 
And we're sinners who don't think of sin as the big deal that it really is. As sinners, we seek glory for ourselves. We don't realize how evil that is. We put ourselves in the place of God. We trust our own senses, our own experience, our own reasoning. We think we know better than God does. And thus, we disregard God. We disbelieve God. We disobey God. We belittle God because we want the glory. We're glory thieves. And that offends the white, hot holiness of the supremely glorious God. So get your eyes off yourself and gaze at God. You don't want to be like King Nebuchadnezzar. I saw this in a commentary by James Montgomery Boyce. He highlights this passage in, in Daniel 4 to illustrate Romans 11:36 negatively. So King Nebuchadnezzar asks, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Look at this. I have built. What's that? Babylon is from me. By my mighty power, Babylon is through me. For the glory of my majesty, Babylon is to me. Nebuchadnezzar is saying that Babylon is from me and through me and to me. What folly to think that anything is from you and through you and to you. God alone deserves glory as the source and the means and the end of all things. Therefore, to him be glory forever. Amen. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Psalm 115. So the message of Romans 11.36 is that God is supreme. From him are all things. God is the source of all things. He's the supreme creator. Through him are all things. God is the means of all things. He's the supreme king. To him are all things. God is the end of all things. He is the supreme goal. Therefore, to him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are supreme. We savor your supremacy in all things. You are the source of of all things, the means of all things, the end of all things. You are the supreme creator, the supreme king, the supreme goal, and therefore you deserve glory forever. Amen.